You okay? Is that okay. So, let's start not with the word so because I won't. So, Pugba, actually, if you could just, I'm not going to use it, but just give a name check and all that so I can get a level. Uh, hi, I'm Charles Dorfman. I'm playing Harry in Love at the Park Theatre. So, let, let's just start with the fact that you're, you're reprising a play that's set in those happy, distant days of the swinging 60s. They're very different to now, but it seems to fit like a glove into now as well. And it's set in New York, so it really is at the sort of heart of what we think of as this sort of fun time, isn't it? The writer is the man who wrote Tootsie. So you, sort of, you, know, you come in with expectation, which I think are fulfilled. So why? Why love? You tell me. Why love? Um, I actually stumbled across the play in a class in Los Angeles. I saw someone do a scene from it, and it, was, it blew me away. It was very funny and very smart. So when I read the play, I realised it was very, very smart and very, very funny. So... When I was looking for shows to do with Gary, the director, um, it was one of the plays that we read and I was very keen to do. And it surprised me that it hadn't been done in here since 64. Um, worried me slightly, but um, I do think that it is relevant and funny. So it made sense to, to give it a go. It's a, yes, it's a sort of no-brainer, you would think, because when you look at the original cast, Jack Lemmon, Peter Falk, Elaine May, that's the so film, isn't it? That, that was the that's film, the, yeah. Which, the, didn't, which wasn't such a success, actually, no, but the, it does attract that calibre of performer, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, the original, the original cast originally is directed on stage by Mike Nichols with mm. Eli Wallach, Alan Arkin and Anne Jackson. And then Gene Wilder took over the part as well. So was that your yeah, part? That was my part. Yeah, yeah, I yeah, guess. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it's an amazing calibre of actors and... Um, yeah, it felt that their choices in their career have been good, so they can't be that wrong. So it, it gave me some confidence to, to give the show a go. Let's just give people a very quick rundown of the situation. Obviously not the twists and turns of the situation, but mm -hmm. the great thing is it's three fantastically equal parts, two yes. for men and one for a woman. Yes. Uh, the situation is I play Harry, um, Nick plays Milt, and we are old college friends who meet one night on a bridge. Uh, I've, l I've lost hope, and Milt, my old college buddy, persuades me to find hope again in life through love. And uh, his wife, uh, Ellen, joins us, and hilarity ensues. Yes, I think we can just give yeah. away the fact that um, he's trying to offload his wife onto you so yes. he can move on to a mistress <laughs> that I then expect to see, but we don't. Yeah, um, that is exactly what happens. And it sort of works. We, we, all fall, we all fall in and out of love with each other, but it's, it's, it's very fast, it's very witty, I think so. And uh, the other cast members are so fantastic to work with that it's, it's sort of a great show to, to do. What's great is that there are a lot of words, but it's very physical, and I'm wondering if that's a Buckland theatre thing, and your, your director, Gary, is really into physical theatre as well. I mean, is that what... I, would, I don't know what your mission statement is, but mm -hmm. maybe one of them is that you should bring have the physicality and the word play so together, a bit, bit Shakespearean, really. Um, I don't think that's necessarily the goal per se. I think it's about understanding the writer's intentions in each show that we do and trying to bring that to an audience as best we can. 
the last show was quite naturalistic, the Neil Laboot show, uh, which right. wasn't a physical mm -hmm. comedy, but it was, you know, we tried to make that as real uh, as possible. And it was a comedy, but not as broad or obvious a comedy as this. This is so theatrical, it has to be done so fully. And the sort of fast-paced New York humour uh, and that sort of vaudevillian physicality, I think, is the only way that you can bring this show to life. Yes, well, I, I completely agree with you there. And I mean, so I did mention in, in my review Neil Simon, but obviously Woody Allen comes to mind as sure. well. Yeah. So it does conjure up that. And, and, and anybody listening to this won't be disappointed if, that, if those are your bag, come and see this show, because you really do, you evoke them, but I think you bring something new to it as well. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of uh, analogies that we were throwing around, but it's I, my favourite is it's Mel Brooks meets It's a Wonderful Life, and mm. there's Neil Simon in there as well. So it's you know it's a definite it's a definite recognisable sense sensibility in there, but I think that yeah, we we put our own spin on it. Yeah. You say it's travelled well from the sixties. I, I I reckon if it happened now, there would be more of a, not even a bromance. There's probably probably you'd all try out. You'd probably have a quick gay romance and see if that worked mm -hmm. as well, wouldn't you? But it is almost a bromance, isn't it? Which is quite fashionable too. Yeah, I think that. Um, the Lauren Hardy, you know, there, mm. there's always a, there's the double act and yeah. in, in comedy. And I think that they're so diametrically opposed to each other. That's where the humor comes, really. But Ellen's character is so fantastic that it's not our show and she's just a walk on. It, it really does feel like very three equally important roles, which was one of the things actually which excited me about the show and excited me about finding someone to, to play that role. Yes, I mean, yes, she's very much at the centre of it once she mm -hmm. comes on. Actually, it's quite exciting that she does come on a bit later. It's well-paced, isn't it? It's good to get to know you two guys, but then it's really special when she comes on, so it isn't waiting for Godot after all. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hard to appreciate the, that effect because I'm in it, mm. but I do think that laying that groundwork, starting slow, building the relationship between those two, and then adding her and letting everything sort of fly is... is a great way to structure it and yeah it, it feels natural you know you know i i also re remember that there's wonderful monty python sketch where they're trying to outdo each other mm. as to who's had the most terrible upbringing mm. and it finally lands up shoebox in the middle mm. of motorway yo we're lucky we only had a matchbox or something like mm. that i can't remember and I, I should have checked but i wonder which got written first because there's a riff like that in this and mm. i wonder if monty python got it from yeah. Murray Shizko. Well, well we've looked at the times and it mm. you haven't you're not the first person to mention mm. it in fact a lot of people who came into audition mm. asked that same question and we believe that murray was first actually mm. if you look at the timing of it um so and it was a big hit on Broadway, and so I, perhaps they took it from him. Yeah. It's got that surreal quality, hasn't oh, it? Oh yes, mm. yeah. It has got a very uh, Monty Python surreal, comedic edge. It feels contemporary because mm. the things that it lampoons and makes fun of are our human nature, but it does it in such a way that. I think the humour of today draws so much from Monty Python, those sort of surreal uh, comedians, that it doesn't feel like a comedy from the 60s. It feels actually quite contemporary. Yeah, it doesn't let you off the hook, does it? I mean, lots of people have said, oh, it's very gentle. I don't know that it is. I think it's kind of, it has cruelty in it too. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, if you really listen to what's happening, it doesn't let anyone off the hook. And it, 
not necessarily a happy ending. Um, I think it really has a close and deliberate look at the way that we treat each other in love mm. and how we can get swept away by a concept but ignore what's in front of us. And yeah, it, it did, you know this deals with a lot of uh, big issues, but it makes you laugh along the way. Yeah. Do you think it's a good... Now, we're in the middle of the Christmas stroke this year, Hanukkah period, so I, mm. it's sort of been billed as a seasonal show. Is it, is it working for the, its audience? Yeah, I think so. I, I think when, during this time, I think that people do want to be entertained but don't always want to have Christmas or you know festive season sort of all the time. So it offers that sort of sweet spot of being entertaining and fun and feel good while being a good show but not being a sort of a Christmas show. Well, I mentioned Hanukkah there, and of course Murray Shiskal is Jewish, and it's got that, we talked about Woody Allen Neil Simon, I mean, it's definitely got that New York Jewish feel. Mm -hmm. well, I mean, it's not overt, but it's there all the mm -hmm. way through, I would say. I'm sure the characters are all Jewish, don't you think? Oh, uh, yes, I would think so, yeah. Mm. In my mind, they are. And there's a certain New York Jewish humour which runs throughout, and it is Jewish, but it's it's that New York sensibility, which is uh, so recognisable and sort of permeates a lot of our culture now. So, yeah. yeah. Well, in fact, I mean, we talked about the original lineup and the director, because they're all Jewish as well, every yeah. one of them. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. In fact, I'm quite surprised in a way that Mike Nichols waited for the film to put Elaine May in it because they'd done so much together. I'm sure you know all the, the sketches and work they've done together. Yes, yeah. Well, the original... I mean, Eli Wallet was, was his wife. Uh, so I think originally um, Murray approached Eli Wallach and, and, Jackson, and Jackson to do it. And, you know, their husband-wife team... Now, I just want to talk a bit about Buckland Theatre Company, mm -hmm. about your, you know what your aims are, what your mission statement is, mm -hmm. and who is, who are Buckland Theatre Company? Because obviously there's you, but and, yeah. and this is your home in this, and it, is it called Part 90 because there's 90 seats perhaps? Yes, yeah, yeah it's mm. Part 90, there's mm. Part 200 and Part 90. Mm. Um, so Buckland is just me. Why is it called Buckland? <laughs> Why is it called Buckland? <laughs> it's called Buckland because I used to live on Buckland Crescent, <laughs> the bottom of Fitzjohn's Avenue. I know. Just near uh, um, the Hampstead Theatre. Yeah, so you could have called it Hampstead Theatre, but that would have been a bit... I could have, yeah. <laughs> I, used to, I used to work there uh, behind the bar as an usher. As an, as and as an usher. Yeah, so that, that's why it's called Buckland. So what you do then, you add, put together an ad hope company. You, you've obviously... I think you must have worked with... with well, at least with your director, Gary, before. Is that right? Yeah, so... Uh, I have known Gary for uh, seven, nearly eight years, worked together, and I really wanted to do shows with him. And when I decided to start the company, he was the first person that I spoke to. And while we were trying to find projects, what we did last year was we, I organized weekly play readings of the top 50 plays of the last 100 years, mm -hmm. which was a sort of fun way of getting things moving without actually having a show. And then... With Gary, we this year we've done three plays. So it was Miss Julie, then Some Girls, and now Love. And now the next year, starting to work with directors outside of working with Gary. Mm. And what about the cast? I mean, is it just whoever submits their CV or whatever? Or, or have you got some preferred lineups? No, no preferred lineups. It's, it's all really about, um, I mean, ultimately, 
it's the director who makes the mm. call. Uh, it just so happens that me and Gary are on the same page. Yeah. And I do sit in, on all, I'm the reader in all the mm. auditions. Mm. We actually met Elsie when she auditioned for some girls. So it's, you know, I, I would hope over time that we, I get to know great actors and hopefully we get to work with them more than once. But it is about who's right for the show. Yes, well, obviously, but I just think it's nice. When it's, I mean, it, this must be a very close relationship now. And so I think that's about a nice thing that, you know, it would be good to go back to in the future in some combination. Yeah. That, that's why I asked about whether Buckland Theatre was only you, because uh, I yeah. thought you three were so, seemed so close. Yeah, I mean, uh, we are, and it's been a really amazing and fun uh, experience working with these guys. It's, it's been a lot of fun, and they're great, very professional, very great actors, but it's been a lot of fun. I mean, there are a few companies like Labyrinth and Steppenwolf and Atlantic in the States who I really admire their work. And I do believe that people who work together over a decade produce better work than if people are just together for three weeks. However, you can't sort of set out your stall that you are an ensemble from a standing start. You'd need to build that over time. Yeah. And, you know, I would love for that to be the case in 10 years' time. Yeah, we'll cool. see. Well, that, that, that sounds like a plan. So the two more things I wanted to talk about, one of which was you, and the other was the creatives on, on this show. You do direct as well, don't you? No, you don't direct as well. Okay, so where has this come from? I mean, obviously, there's the fact that your father's, you know, got, now got a theatre named after him, and I know you've done an apprenticeship at the National. So where, where did it all come from, this, this burning desire? to act and the ability and all that, do you think? Um, well, I mean, the apprenticeship was a very long time ago. So, mm. uh, I, I mean, I studied theatre at university and when I left, I was an actor for a few years. And I, when I left, when I left acting, I went into producing, so working, developing scripts mm. and always kept up my acting at a, through classes, which is how I actually met Gary Condes, who was a teacher there. And over time worked on film scripts and working with actors in that context, but always really wanted to act. I mean, mm -hmm. so I made the decision uh, two years ago to get back into it professionally. Now that's what I wondered. I mean, I, I don't know why, but I sort of mm. see you as a director I'm, and you, you're not tempted? Uh, I, I'd be lying if I said I wasn't. So I, I yeah, I would, I would love to direct one day, but I'm very happy acting at the moment. I think that a lot of the great uh, directors were actors first. So Gary was an actor for 20 years. Roy Alexander Weiss, who's directing the show, uh, The Ugly One, next... Uh, Is this your next show? Yeah, yeah, next, next June. Oh, tell us about that. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. So uh, then our next show is um, going to be June at the park starts rehearsing in April, and it's called The Ugly One by Marius von Meinberg. It was at the Royal Court in uh, 2007, so it will be 10 years since it's been done upstairs. And Roy Alexander Weiss was the associate at the Royal Court up until recently and just won the JMK Award for his uh, production of The Mountaintop, which was at the Young Vic. Oh, yes, I know. Yes, that, that was um, yes, the Katori Hall. Yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and was originally an actor as well. 
Okay, so it's okay. You come from it's a it's a very honourable and and sensible tradition. You know that you you know it from the inside out, don't you? Just tell us a tiny bit about that play then, and and its writer. Sounds like an older play, but no, it's a new play. No, it's a it's a contemporary play. Uh, Maris von Moenberg is a very interesting playwright uh, from Germany, and it's about a man who is so ugly that he can't get work, and. life is not going very well for him. He, he's actually unaware that he is so ugly until people tell him. Then he gets plastic surgery and becomes incredibly good looking and the world is his oyster. Um, but then a lot of people start getting the same plastic surgery and <laughs> it becomes a slightly surreal world. It's again, it's a, it's a sort of, it, it's not a naturalistic play. And it's funny uh, very well written, smart, and I think very, very relevant today to how we view beauty and mm. aesthetics and how we want to get ahead. Yeah, it sounds like it's still highly topical 10 years mm. later, um, even more so, probably. So, yeah. right. Let's just go back then to the creative team behind this, because I, I'm, it's a funny place to start, so I know, but I think you've got a voice coach, is that right? Uh, yeah, uh, Richard Ryder, um, mm. who worked uh, with us on Some Girls, uh, he's a great accent coach. I think it was important for us not to just guess and to have someone who could tell us what we were doing right and what we were doing wrong. Yeah. And hopefully we delivered. Well, I think you have. You see that, the reason I ask is I was just so impressed. I will name no names, but there's something else that in America I've seen recently and the accents were so all over the place that it was sort of distracting. And I, was, mm. I, get, I couldn't get past that so easily. And this was just pitch perfect, I thought. So, oh, and I, and I, that's why I actually went to the programme and looked and I thought, yes, they've really gone for that. And I think that, so you were comfortable with it. Yeah, I think it's really important that you are comfortable with all these sort of external elements mm. so you can really play with each other. And I think you do face a challenge when you're working on an accent for an audience to not, uh, to really buy in and to forget about it and to enjoy the show, you know, which is the main goal for the company is for an audience to enjoy and be moved and be excited and inspired by, by the play. And if people are catching you out on your accent, it, mm. they sort of, they focus on that versus um, everything else. Yeah, exactly. So, and then then we've got the more obvious members of the creative team. Your designer Max Dory and your lighting designer Christopher Nairn. Mm-hmm. It's hard to see where one ended and the other began. It seems that it, they work in tandem, and it, it, you get a total theatre result. Yeah, it's been amazing working with these guys. I mean. It's the first project that we've done with them, and my understanding is they often work together. And I think, like any relationship, if you work together over a long period of time, you end up being able to make better work. Mm-hmm. So it's been a re- you know I'm really 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 couldn't be happier with the the design and set and the lighting. It's I think really served the play in the sense that it feels such a naturalistic and a real playground for us to, to work in. Oh, I like playground. I mean, it, I mean, we should say that it is the bridge, uh, yeah. but there's this incredible skyscape behind, which mm. seems to change, which is very clever. I yeah. mean, I'm looking at it now, and it actually has uh, got the pink yeah. built in, but it does change, doesn't it, almost? Yeah, all through the light, mm. all through the mm. light. He told us that it would, and mm. you sort of mm. have to 
have faith in people and it really really does it's so impressive let's just add that the third this is a bow with three strings i don't think there's such a thing as this maybe i'm talking about the loop with these three strings but you've got the sound director yes richard hamilton yeah it sounds very important i mean there's a lot of music as well mm. isn't there so talk about the sound and the music but he makes the soundscape so we always know we're there yeah. but, it's up, but it's often surreal as well yeah so the goal for the show was to ground it in a sense of reality. So there's real bridges and there's real wood decking and the bridge is solid that you can walk on and this big, great metal structure. But in that real world, and, and the sound is an extension of that, you hear the boats and the tugs and the bells and the, the wind and it feels very real. But then for us to be able to come out of that world and be sort of enjoy the surreal nature of the play, there's song and dance and... Uh, sound effects of knives being thrown. Um, so, yeah, the, the the original music in the play was a j jazz standard, and it was the same throughout. And I can't take credit for this. This is Gary, the director. Um, and and the, I, I'd say all the creative decisions mm. were through Gary. I'm I just I'm an actor. You just sit and enjoy them. Or I just sit and yeah, or work and enjoy them. Exactly, exactly. So, but so Gary worked with sound designer and decided to really bring um, to the fore the '60s element because obviously we're now not in the '60s. So how can you really get an audience transported into that world? And so they rewrote the music for each of the songs, which gets repeated into different genre, which is recognisably '60s or puts you back in that place. Yes, and I mean, I think modern kids love the 60s and mm. those of were kids in the 60s, it takes us straight back. Yeah, and, and we get to do crazy 60s dancing, which mm. is always fun. Again, it just sort of <laughs> that lightness of touch makes it, it... It's a bit of a celebration of love and you need dancing for that. Yeah, I do. I think when, you know, I don't want to ruin it for um, your listeners, but there is a moment when uh, there is a falling in love and it's definitely scored by music and dancing and that feeling you know we want to give the audience as well as us the feeling of being in love and falling in love and the craziness of it which can only really be expressed through 60s dancing i think because we are not in the 60s it's important to explore every opportunity to bring the audience into that period